Radio. Welcome to Thought Grenades with Robert Thompson and Mike Neese on Blog Talk Radio. Robert is the author of The Offsite, Leadership Challenge Fable, and the founder of LeaderInsideOut.com. And welcome once again to Thought Grenades with Robert Thompson and, of course, our good friend, co-host Mike Neese. This is Monday, June 15, 2015. I can't believe that this year is almost half over. I'm just getting started. And, of course, this is Robert Thompson coming to you live from the beautiful San Francisco Bay, as we do each and every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And, as I mentioned, joining me from the shores of Lake Michigan, Mike Neese. Mike, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Robert. Good to hear. And we've got a great show once again today. We continue our Leadership in the Common Good theme with architect Ross Chapin. Chapin is a force around building what are called pocket neighborhoods. I love this concept and look forward to talking with Ross about how these communities are growing around the world. I'd heard about them a long time ago, but um, lost uh, lost contact. And I'm just so pleased that Ross is joining us today. Folks, if you have a question or a thought to share, please call in at 347-989-0965. And, of course, as always, never miss a session by subscribing to Thought Grenades on iTunes. That way Mike and I are right there on your mobile device. If you're looking for something practical, simple, and effective, this is the place. Ross, as I mentioned, it's good to have you on. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Robert and Mike, this is fantastic. I'm honored to be part of the program. Uh, don't be honored. It's okay. You're just one of us. <laughs> yeah, I'm part of the conversation. Part of the conversation. Yeah, you're part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so for all of our listeners, I had heard about these pocket neighborhoods many years ago because um, you guys have been around and doing this for a while. But probably a lot of our listeners have not heard of this. What? Uh, tell us what a pocket neighborhood is. Well, I'm going to try answering uh, this by starting with a story and uh, to give you kind of a, a sense of it. I was just finishing writing a book uh, called Pocket Neighborhoods. It was about to go off to press. It was, uh, uh, I'm recalling this was uh, probably th- three years ago. Um, and uh, I'd gathered with some friends in a um, uh, in an orchard overlooking this beautiful valley. It was an August day, and uh, but the story was that we've got this long table with 20 people at the table, and we all knew the host, but we didn't necessarily know each other, and we were all engaged in conversation. At one point, we gathered together, and I'll share your name and just uh, this little snippet of what you're doing, and it came around to me, and I'm Ross Chapin, and I'm just getting a book off to press called Pocket Neighborhoods, and yeah, everybody looks at me and said, yeah, okay, so what's a pocket neighborhood? And <laughs> yeah. darn, I'd been spending I'd been spending two or three years trying to get to that question. And I said, well, you can read the book. But no, <laughs> I realized, I looked down the, the table, and it dawned on me, uh, it just was like so clear, at the far end of the table had been this very animated conversation. And I know I'd been involved in an animated conversation at our end of the table, and there was a third conversation going on. And I said, well, these are like pocket neighborhoods. And if if this whole table is a block, the pocket neighborhoods are those right around us. They're our nearby neighbors, our next-door neighbors. And I realized then that in small groups, conversation is spontaneous. It's what we do. 
humans are gregarious, we're social, we want, we need to relate to one another. You get us in a safe, small setting, and we chat, we tell stories, we laugh, we sing songs, we argue, we whatever. It just happens. But think about it. In a large group, we need to be organized for any communication of meaningful way. Otherwise, it's chaos. And so if you take a look at a um, uh, the typical housing developments, you've got um, dozens or hundreds of houses, and they are set out according to some developer's uh, master plan. And it's done in relationship to profit, uh, saleability, resale, curb appeal, uh, etc. Uh, it's but it's not no, no. designed around human nature. So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to say, okay, how do we design around human nature? And on a pragmatic level, pocket neighborhoods, I realized, are clustered groups of nearby houses or apartments gathered around some kind of shared open space. Now that might be a, a garden courtyard might be a pedestrian street, might be a series of backyards where people decide to take out their fences. So it's all cared and managed by surrounding residents. So So that's the definition. So how does it get started, though? I mean, if if you have to redesign a neighborhood, you said apartment buildings and so on. How does that that work? Do you have to redo the apartment building or? Well, some of it is, we've, if we've got a, the structure of where you live, some of it is, it's pretty hard to change the structure. But um, yeah. let's say um, that you live in a typical, I don't know, we've done a lot of our work in small towns and suburbs, and so we're rethinking how all that works. It can also work in an urban setting. But let's say you live in a standard house with a street out front, and uh, typically your world is uh, in your backyard or, you know, it's in your kitchen and your family room and so forth, and that's your retreat from a crazy world. But right. do, you know, do you know your neighbors otherwise, other than maybe on your lawnmower, you know, in the, uh, on the weekend? So think about uh, moving your picnic table to your front yard and see what happens when you eat supper out front. I'd guess that you'd strike up a conversation with a neighbor. You'd invite them to maybe share a dish if if they're up for it or come by. Uh, Kids will love it. Uh, Or maybe you decide to uh, plant a portion of the vegetable garden out uh, in front. We're creating this intermediate zone between the public world and the private world. And it's the intermediate zone that's both uh, public and private where this informal interaction happens. Uh, It's... It, this isn't radical. And this this is this is this is traditional America with uh, uh, Mayberry with the porch out front. Um, yeah. It, it's the it's the urban uh, stoop where you've got these big broad steps going up to uh, an apartment, and people are hanging out on the sidewalk in the stoop. It's where neighborliness happens, and we're creating opportunities for that to happen. So you're doing that, and you've been doing this for a while. As I mentioned, I'd heard about this a long time ago, and you had mentioned before the show sometime in the 90s I probably heard of it because you had gotten your book out there or whatever. And um, why is it not, or is it, maybe I'm just oblivious, why is it not spreading across the country, the world, uh, quickly? What's keeping it holding, what's holding it back? 
Oh, that's a good good question. Um, I think it is, um, but it's it's relative. Um, I um, I'm I'm trying to get word out there. Uh, I'm one person. I know that I've been. Uh, I just spoke with the city uh, staff of Dallas. I've been up in uh, Vancouver. Uh, I was talking with the folks out in Boston, in the city of Boston and the state. Uh, we're working on uh, uh, affordable, attainable housing approaches where we bring the uh, community aspect into the mix. We're working on uh, elder uh, and assisted care approaches that mm-hmm. have this uh, uh, kind of approach to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's It's been in the National Builder magazines uh, dozens of times, and so I think it's being picked up. It's just, you know, are we aware of it on a public level i think i think niches of us are so a lot of it is just is is trying to break the typical system by the way we we develop we've got a flywheel of of uh this i'm going to say it's an old stale way it's kind of developed uh around the automobile and the thermos the um air conditioner and and so forth and um We've gotten, you know, geared into um, uh, consumerism and into privacy. And uh, I think as we begin to realize that uh, what we need is relationship to a degree, we can be neighbors and have our privacy. They're not exclusive. Um, I think it's going to find its way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Ross, it's Mike, and as you were talking, it reminded me, I'm a, I'm a fair bit older than you, I guess, I would guess, and it reminded me of a design that I remember as a young man where they were building communities from uh, the brownfield starting brand new, and I think uh, Pueblo, Colorado is the first one I I think I remember that was designed around neighborhoods and designed with this intent. How is this different than that? Well, I'm not exactly sure what you're referring to. Um, Would it be co-housing? No, for a while, I'm going to say it was probably in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. There was a a lot of city planning going on where new neighborhoods were being constructed that were people-centric rather than real estate-centric. And I remember Pueblo, Colorado is is held up as the the shining star of that. And I just wonder Uh how this concept was different and Perhaps that's unfair if you're not familiar with Pueblo there. Well, I'm I'm not familiar with it, but um, I, I love learning new things uh, as I go along, and I've got a, a great sort of uh, uh, mix of just places all over the country and the world, and I'm just I'm surprised. Um, you know, this has been um, uh, when I first when I was writing the book, I was. I thought I came up with this such a cool idea. This is in 1997 and okay. 98, and I was involved in our little town. And we were let me tell you just a little bit of the roots of it, and, and then I'll, I'll sure. go on from there about about that. The uh, I, I live in a small town in Whidbey Island, north of Seattle, and uh, it's far enough away that it's uh, been a fairly depressed place after the lumber was extracted mm-hmm. from the island, and, and the fish were you know fished farther out. Um, so uh, at the same time, Boeing set up uh, camp, and uh, as the crow flies, it's about six miles to where they build the 787s. 
And wow. of course, well, seven forty sevens back in the eighties, uh, sure. and the uh, in the nineties, and uh, there was uh, California discovered Whidbey Island, and the prices were just skyrocketing, and we were extremely concerned about sprawl. Uh, we've seen it all over the country, and uh, so the city planner came up with a proposal to give incentive to do infill housing for small households. And we recognized that um, small households were the majority, the super majority of households in our community. Um, single um, folks, um, empty nesters, um, and, and the like, you know, shared households of a couple of friends. And yet all the housing that was being built was for Ozzie and Harriet with their kids. Exactly. And we realized we needed to give incentive to do infill in a small, uh, finely knit way, in a sense that that uh, it would uh, also foster a sense of community and preserve uh, that that the uh, thing. So we we had this cottage housing code going on, and uh, I teamed up with a uh, developer. It's another story. Uh, I'd never done development. He had, and we. Um, uh, purchased uh, four lots, and the way the code goes, we could double the density, double the amount of houses on a on a um, on a property if there were three items. They were small, they were less than a thousand square feet, they were uh, oriented around uh, shared uh, commons, and the parking was shielded from uh, the street. So we we came up with uh, a plan and built it. Uh, we didn't have, there were no comparables. Um, the realtors, uh, friends that I had, uh, I had a couple of them at that time in the realty, and they said, uh, what, what are you doing? You're, no, there's nothing like this. You're nuts. And we, uh, I'd been here for a number of years before and established myself, and the developer was uh, had a good, strong background. And we made a proposal to the bank, and they loaned us more zeros than I'd ever seen before. But, you know, before the recession, they did that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we had um, uh, this, and we built these out. We did not pre-sell anything. We completed them and then put them out for sale. And they sold like wildfire. They sold very quickly. And uh, what happened was that the national media heard about it, picked it up, and it went, it went national. And we were getting calls and um, uh, email in from all over the country. And I realized that we touched an electric socket that was just in potential, ready to happen. And uh, nobody was talking about it. Nobody was doing it. And so uh, that's when I thought, oh, this, you know, this is really, I I had a hunch that it um, it was viable. And it was. And uh, and then I I didn't realize then and this is related to your to your, to my uh, to a little piece here I didn't realize the precedence when I went to write the book on pocket neighborhoods um, uh, there was a huge movement in uh, Southern California around 1910 developing bungalow courts mm. I mean we heard of those um, yeah, the, yeah. The, the motel the motel used to be a um, coming around this concept where you've got these um, small units and they used to be around a, uh, you know, a court. Well, a car took over. Um, the garden or the garden court apartments um, were another version. Sure. Sure. 
sure. And then way before that, there were some absolutely wonderful um, summer um, uh, yeah, revival church revival camps like uh, Martha's Vineyard, uh, where you'd get 500 people in you know coming out to the island over the summer months, camping in clusters of tents, gathering together around a central huge um, tent for these revival meetings. Well, after mm-hmm. years, they decided to build cottages uh, where their tent sites were, and those were in clusters around a shared garden. Um, That's great. Pocket neighborhood. Yeah, my grandmother went to and those. It was yeah, my grandmother went to those. Hey, hey, let's go back a little bit, because we have some listeners who are probably wondering who the hell Ozzy and Harriet are. Um, oh, yeah. And Mike, <laughs> Mike, yeah, and, and Mike's claiming, you know, that he was around in the 50s and 60s, which is a shock to me that he remembers. Um <laughs> In any event, Ozzy and Harriet, of course, TV show, Ricky uh, Nelson, David Nelson, all gone now, but uh, uh, that was a TV show, folks, and it was it was the 50s. <laughs> little context. Beyond. Here, it was white. It, it was white. Yeah, it was everything. It was everything that we <clears throat> don't want to have now. Anyway, what um, – it just seems to me that, you know, if this has been around for so long, why don't – how come we don't see it more? Now, you may see it. Because you know you're the architect of these things and you know where they are. Mike mentions Pueblo, and you know you're like, oh, I don't know. I grew up in San Jose, so when you go to the dictionary and and look for the definition of sprawl, San Jose is the first um, uh, town that comes to mind. Yeah. Planners, yeah. you mentioned planners early. Um, how do you get them on board? Because obviously the planners, you know, some of them well, I guess would appreciate this, but in San Jose they. They obviously didn't. They sprawled out everywhere. How do we get the planners on board now? Yeah. Well, the planners are definitely getting on board uh, on a national level around walkable uh, communities and uh, um, full-service streets with places for bicycles. And you'll see that all over. And uh, so we're we're working on it on that level. Um, And I think that you'll find in the... I've given talks at the National uh, Association of Planners. Uh, There's another group called the Congress for the New Urbanism, and then there's the uh, Smart Growth uh, Network and uh, conferences. And the planning uh, folks that are really keying into that, and they're really looking at walkability. They're looking at smaller-scale, multi-diverse communities in, in so many different ways. What I'm trying to bring into the mix is something that's between the uh, the public realm and the private realm, this, this intermediate zone. And uh, it's getting some reception. Um, I think there's some pushback because uh, Americans are uh, independent. Uh, we like our privacy. We like our personal space. We like to do whatever we want to do, whenever right. we want to do it. And that's, that's the dominant... Um, prevailing factor in America. But I think mm. that the if you ask the baby boomers, you know, what's your dream for your retirement? Is it a um you know, three four bedroom, three car garage uh with a TV everywhere and a you know, your own private world and you you drive in and and you've just got whew, you're you're just you're there alone. You don't have to see yeah, a neighbor. Sucked in, yeah. Yeah. Right. I I think I that the as the boomers are coming into their uh, retirement and older retirement years, they're re-changing. They're they're they're, they're changing yes. their their tune here. And no, uh, I think if you look well, at some the millennials, of us, you know, some of well. us used to be, 
you know, some of us used to be uh, hippies and we wanted to live in communes or did. So similar process, right? It's similar. Yeah, I I want to add in Although you need the money to buy the house. Essential. Well, no, you may, but um, we're working uh, and there are people doing tiny house villages. So <laughs> it's not so much about money, it's about relationship. A friend of mine is a... Um, Go ahead. No, go, go ahead, Ross. I cut you off. Sorry. The um, you say it's about money. You got to buy houses. Uh, I'm going to bring in another another factor here. A friend of mine is a uh, consultant with FEMA, and he was down after the Katrina hurricane, and uh, there were uh, it was just it was, it was so sad. But there were places where they would clear these acreages, huge acreages, and they'd bring these Katrina trailers. Uh, down and and, and and park them in the in there, and so you've got people who have been forced out of their homes, homeless, and this is emergency housing, but they're there for a while. So instead of having hundreds of trailers lined up in rows A, B, C, D, you know, uh, building 16, 18, 34, etc. Imagine right. the right. same same trailers. Um, I'd rather not, but just just say same trailers <laughs> in clusters of six six or eight around maybe a um, a little um, uh, shady ramada with a place for a barbecue grill and a picnic table and a place for the kids to play. So you've got these pockets of right. of households. When you're when you're through a disaster like that, you are traumatized, and when you traumatize, the last thing you want to be is just a number in a grid. And healing oh, wow. happens yeah. through healing happens through sharing, through stories. Remember our human nature? We're gregarious. And so the first healing happens when we are sitting around telling our story and receiving a story. Sure. And so this is not about money, this is about a configuration, a relationship. When I talk about the picnic table in your front front yard, oh well, what does that cost? You're creating this place where interaction is possible. It's not forcing, it's saying it's possible. Right. So that's what that's what I'm trying to bring through with pocket neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. It does strike me. It does strike me that it's communities that are built on a stronger sense of shared values, different sense of shared values. I mean, I still live in a part of the country that uh, real estate is, is is a lot more affordable than in other areas. You can still get a 2,500 square foot house in my neighborhood, two blocks off the beach, for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So I mean it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 not out of the question, and it's still part of that Midwest thing that says, "My house represents how well I've done in life." Aren't we fighting that old stereotype? And quite frankly, yeah. Quite frankly, yeah. the worry too that we're not going towards another generation of little houses on the hillside and they all look like tic tacky. So. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a. Um a meme or a, a mindset in our culture that's yeah. uh, been significant, and it's got a flywheel effect. It's going to keep rolling out. Yep. But there's another um, meme that is coming forward. And so instead of bigger is better, it's saying small is beautiful. Yes. It's saying yes. that what's important in life are not the things that we have, but the relationships that, we've, that we uh, so uh, value. Right. And Speaking of that, that Ross, as we hey, 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 hang on, let me let me jump in here. Let me jump in here because we're going to run out of time, and 
and I want to make sure that we get uh, some of these other thoughts out. What if there are, you know, we get into these, um, but all of a sudden there's disagreements among neighbors. Are there some kind of bylaws or something that go with this, or is this just all handshake? Uh, well, it can be a, a handshake, of course, uh, and it mm-hmm. can be bylaws. We have been involved in a community um, recently here in our little town, and we put together these suggested uh, uh, bylaws. And the first meeting they came together, they said, well, how about if we change the name from uh, bylaws and rules to agreements? Just the name change shifted the relationship. These are agreements that we have with one another. That's nice. And there's also also the idea of intentions. You know, these places are not for everyone. Um, Mm -hmm. But where people do want to be uh, neighborly with one another, it's for them. And yep. so um, when they come together, there's an intention. And there is there are agreements of respect. You know, I, I respect that, you know, you've got your need for personal space. You've got um, uh, your, your world. That's great. And I've got mine. I also, uh, if there is an agreement or if, if there's a disagreement among us, uh, I, I make a clear intention to listen. And uh, I also expect that I will have a fair, respectful place to be listened to. And uh, so I think that's in the mix. One, one more. Yeah, one of the first. Here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, one more piece here. No, um, because the shared commons is shared and it's not public. In other words, you don't have the city coming in and maintaining it. You've got a shared group of neighbors managing yes. it and maintaining it. That means that if I'm out. Um, uh, weeding or maybe planting or uh, uh, pruning a tree with my neighbor. And a few days later, you know, he's out there and it's 10 at night and he's got his music on loud. I'm not calling the police on him or I'm not calling the the HOA president. I'm going over there and say, hey, Tom, you know, I got to wake up really early in the morning. Can you just kind of tone it down? And because we've had this developed relationship coming from uh, weeding and pruning together and sharing a beer on the porch. We've got a base to say, oh, hey, Ross, ah, you know, I wasn't thinking. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Disagreements happen. How we sure. go through the disagreements is another thing. And what I'm trying to do is to bring together a, a little nexus of, of communication uh, possibilities here where this could happen. Okay. Before we before we run out of time, and we've only got a few minutes, and I knew that we would we would push push our time frame again. Tell us a little bit about um, uh, this Fifth Street Commons, a transformation of an apartment unit that uh, you you mentioned in your note to me. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, that'll be a whole program. So this will be a, just a little tickler. Yeah. Just, um, so as I mentioned, we're on with the island. Okay. Well, we have mentioned we're on Whidbey Island, which is, uh, you know, a- attracting uh, retired folks. Well, to be a thriving community, we need to mul- be multi-generational. And, uh, but it's difficult when the prices go up so much and the opportunities for housing, you know, uh, disappear. And so it, we came to um, our attention that there was a 16-unit apartment building um, that uh, was up for sale. And uh, I stepped forward with another couple, and uh, we purchased the building, 
with the help of uh, the community. Uh, we purchased it all cash uh, without going through a bank with a vision that it would be multi-generational, um, a diverse income, it would be um, environmentally responsible and socially healthy. And this would be an ownership community with some rentals within it. And so uh, we, we pulled it off and we um, created this uh, a commons uh, within it. And we sold out without going through any realtors, without going through any public announcements at all, and, uh, and paid our, um, uh, the community members back that loaned us the money. And it's launched, and it's, it's really exciting. Wow. If you go to Fifth, Fifth Street Commons, all spelled out, and F-I-T-H, F-I-F-T-H, FifthStreetCommons.com, you can see it. You could also Great. see more of our information on uh, pocket-neighborhoods.net and rosschapin.com. So a lot of information Perfect. there that uh, people can see more. Thanks. You, so answered, much, questions that I w- you answered questions that I was uh, just about ready to ask. So, Ross, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. We really appreciate it, and we know this is a half hour is not enough time to cover all of this. But, you know, we've got the, the, um, sort of the appetite for folks to take a look at this. And we'll have you back on in the fall when we're back from our summer break, and we'll talk a little bit more about this and other things. And so, again, thank you so much for being with us, Ross. Take care. Thanks, Ross. It's been fun. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye now. Mike, um, Next week, we have Tim Krause here, and Tim is another one of our uh, candidates for leadership in the common good. Uh, We'll have him, and then uh, we'll finish up uh, June with our friend Tom Peters, and then we'll take our July break. Um, So looking forward to that one. Some fun in the sun. Folks, check in with us next time as we continue to show how you can make a positive difference as you pursue excellence and create your very own masterpiece. This is Robert Thompson from Mike Neese. Thanks for listening to Thought Grenades from Monday, June 15th. Thanks for listening to Thought Grenades with Robert Thompson and Mike Neese. Catch us live every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific on Blog Talk Radio or listen anytime you wish on iTunes.